We don't have to try any harder. We don't need to fight anymore. We don't have to try any harder. No. <laughs> hey, J- hey, Jacob. <laughs> Hi, Scott. <laughs> Do you want to share with listeners what we were just saying about the Nordby brothers or no? I, I, think we'll, I think we'll pull the curtain of charity over that for right now, you yeah. know. <laughs> How are you, my friend? I'm doing really well. Yeah, are, I'm feeling really, feeling really good today. Feeling are you good. in your own place or are you cat sitting or something right now? No, I'm in, I'm recording from my, my friend's place right now. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I was um, admiring the the create behind you, and it looks like paintbrushes in the stand, not far not far over your shoulder. Yeah, he's a wildly uh, creative human being. Oh, cool. So it's fun to be in. This is kind of his studio office space, and uh, it's a good place to be in Santa <laughs> Fe. Still in, in Santa Fe. Oh, that's so cool. I uh, I don't know if you've noticed this. I know you were you were off grid for uh, ten days or so, and. Um, but I've noticed a distinct sense of thaw energetically. Um, it felt like there was this big, really hard contraction a few weeks ago, and I'm sure it had a lot to do with politics and recession news and all that stuff. I've just noticed not like this big, complete thaw, but a sense of, okay, people are breathing again. People are melting again. It's Things are starting to move a little bit. I'm curious if you've noticed any of that. Honestly, Jacob, I've been so completely off grid. I mean, mm. I really did put my phone away for for nine days without checking it, without doing anything with wow. it. So for me, there was definitely a big thaw. But I will say when I came back out and spoke with a dear friend, like, hey, is there anything I should know about in the world? And he was like, you know, honestly, aside from just the general insanity of this country and the world we live in, there hasn't been anything specific to send everyone spiraling over the last week and a half. So yeah. um, he was definitely tuning into what you're saying. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah I got COVID uh, <laughs> two and a half weeks ago, and my body is just now kind of being done with that. Um, and my brother and his wife uh, also got it. So that, that's that been interesting, this, this latest spin of that whole thing. Um, I'm feeling grateful to be, you know, back on my feet, back out running trails and stuff. But it was, it, it was an interesting few weeks there just to kind of be with that. And, and also as I sat with it and journaled and things, um, it's like, yeah, I actually needed, needed a deep rest. I needed more rest than I usually give myself. And, um, I, I guess I'm, I'm a slow learner, Scott, but I think learning to, um, listen to the body, listen to my body and go, yeah, if I'd been paying closer attention, I I still may have gotten COVID, but I certainly had had burned my energy reserves up quite a bit. So, yeah. And how are you feeling now? Oh, I feel so much better. Yeah. Good. Good. Yeah, I remember you were you were kind of sick the last time we talked, but it didn't seem you you it didn't seem like you were ready to say it was COVID or or that it had you didn't <laughs> know that it was COVID yet. So, I still um, don't know. I didn't get a test. My brother and his wife had similar symptoms, and she she works in a corporate office, so she had a test, and it was confirmed. And it sounds a lot like whatever the latest variant of this thing <laughs> is. I know, so I know. keeps going and going. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I'm on the other side of the ceremony I mentioned in the last episode that I couldn't talk about and still can't talk, still am not going to talk about other than to say, uh, yeah, it was extraordinary. It felt just from the, from the phone perspective, it felt so easy to put my phone away. And I was, I was sitting with why, and, and this isn't, this isn't a new idea, but I realized that, you know, I was so engaged in what I was doing. I was so engaged in my life and so present in the ceremony and what was going on there that I just wasn't thinking about my phone at all. Hmm. And I've often, I've often thought of that as not only the secret to transcending phone addiction, but when I look at addiction in general, so often we're steering toward our addictions with whatever it is because of some level of unfulfillment with an aspect of our life in the present moment. Mm -hmm. And I think being in this ceremony really highlighted that for me, the ease with which I was able to just put my phone away completely and not think about it at all mm. for nine days compared to my relationship with my phone going into the ceremony, which was one of just addiction mm -hmm. and compulsion. Mm -hmm. And even since I've gotten out of ceremony, you know, a few days ago, I've definitely been with my phone more. It's felt less, it's felt less addictive and less anxiety provoking, almost like, you know, when you, you still, let's say when I stop eating sugar and then I decide, well, I'm going to eat sugar again. And that first bite of sugar, I can tell something's being lit up inside, but I'm not <laughs> fully ready to down a pint of Haagen-Dazs right away. But by a weekend, I'm back to eating my Haagen-Dazs <laughs> pints in a sitting. Like I haven't reached that point with the phone yet where I'm completely wired to it again. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say is the more we create lives we don't feel we need to escape from, the less likely we are to be addicted to our escapes. And that's not to discount. I, I believe I believe there is a disease element to addiction, but I don't believe that's the full story around addiction. And if it were, then we all have the disease because everyone I know is addicted to something in some way or another. Yeah. And I just think that we're we're so well served by doing what we can to create lives that feel fulfilling. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's an obvious statement, <laughs> but in re relation to, uh, to our addictive habits specifically, you thought you I were think... saying su something super controversial and we were going to have a fight on the air, right? Yeah. <laughs> I know you're really well served by creating a fulfilling life, man. Totally that's disagree. Like that's totally, the ticket, man. <laughs> totally disagree, bro. <laughs> Imagine if you went at me. It's like, no, no, man, we're well served by creating crappy lives. That's how we grow. I don't think I'm a good enough actor to pull that off, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Well, you know, I'm curious. Um, this is not a deep question for you, Scott, but for, for those who are interacting with our show here, I'm curious, those of you who have watched it on YouTube or watched it on the video on Spotify, I'm curious, how, how is it for you to, to actually see us rather than just hear us? Uh, it's always a little bit of a barrier for me to get, you know, sit here and stare into the BDI of my uh, laptop camera. 
like this. And that's not such the barrier. The barrier is me watching myself back and seeing how weirdly I talk. But aside from that. <laughs> yeah, I haven't watched any of it. And I thought you were going to say staring into the beady eye of my podcast partner. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think your eyes are all that beady, Scott. I think, <laughs> I think it's good that you're bringing this up because I don't even know if everyone realizes that you can watch this now. As of the last few, I think, right? That you can, if you want to watch us instead of just listening to us, which you absolutely may not want to do, <laughs> but you have that option on YouTube and on Spotify. On Spotify, yeah. And Scott just started a very specific dedicated YouTube channel to the show. So we'll start loading those videos up. And once uh, once one of us has a little more space and time, we can start loading up at least the audios onto that YouTube channel as well. Um, from our past. This is episode number 44, Scott. So uh, I'm kind of surprised at how these things just keep stacking up. I know 44. I like yeah. that number. I love yeah. eight. You know, Jacob, are you, are you, have we talked about the Enneagram and are you into it? And do you know your type? Yeah. What's your type? Um, I'm a four. I knew. I mean, not that you're supposed to type people, but I'm like, he's definitely a four. <laughs> well, okay. So what were the clues for you? I, I know enough about it to feel conversant, but um, not enough to, to feel like I'm deeply, you know, knowledgeable in the topic. So what were the clues for you that I'm a four? I guess just creative, moody, prone, <laughs> <laughs> prone to like prone to heaviness, prone to feeling like an outsider, mm -hmm. you know, and not, I'm not even speaking to who you are in this moment now, sure. but like, you know, so I, I still, I've been giving a lot of energy to the Enneagram and a, a dear friend of mine is way into the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. And so we've been having lots of conversations and I still haven't figured out my number and, or my type rather, but I was, um, I was fairly convinced I was a four and mm -hmm. I just ruled myself out as a four. Because, so, you know, I listened to Richard Rohr, you know, Richard Rohr. Yeah. I didn't realize he was one of the preeminent voices in the Enneagram. I didn't and, either. That's fascinating. Yeah, and he has this workshop on YouTube that's over six hours long, and he really breaks down all the types. And I was listening to him, and for the first time, I heard someone talk about the four in a way where I felt clear it wasn't me. Hmm. Yeah, it was like the way he kind of talked about the four. It was it was like the goth kids in high school, all <laughs> black, you know, like obsessed with tragedy. That was just never who I was. Like I definitely have felt throughout my life in different ways as an outsider, mm -hmm. um, for sure. Um, but I haven't felt like someone who wants to mire himself in tragedy and despair and haven't felt like someone who is prone to depression necessarily mm -hmm. in the way I feel like maybe maybe other fours are, mm -hmm. you know. But again, well, I'm still figuring it out. Yeah, I find that fascinating because um, certainly as a young person, I was definitely not the the goth kid, or um, I didn't even experience um, what I would call depression until. Well, you know, it's funny when I left home, I went back to Bible college, Scott, and that was the first time I experienced what I would what I and I didn't even know what to call it. That's how unfamiliar it was to me because I was always very sunny, very positive, and. Um, something about the destabilization of leaving home, even though I was going directly into an environment that was very much like home in terms of the rules and the beliefs and all that stuff. Um, but I remember walking through a graveyard near the Bible college in Illinois and 
I did not know what to call this feeling that I was having. And so I would sit there and I would brood and I think I wrote some poetry. <laughs> um, yeah. Yes, well, of course you did. <laughs> how, to, how, to tell, how to tell people you're a four without saying you're a four. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Go to the cemetery and write poetry while brooding. <laughs> <laughs> Very broody. No, and uh, yeah, I, and it wasn't until much later in life, um, you know, my 30s, when I really, we've talked about this multiple times, when I really, you know, had a breakdown, breakthrough experience. That was when I um, felt that I began to really experience more areas of my life that I've been keeping blocked, keeping, you know, the doors shut on. And that included a lot of very, very deeply for emotions and melancholy and depression and things like that. And it's also where I began to really open up to the creative self, the creative side of myself um, in ways that I never had. And so, um, yeah, I've always been fascinated by Enneagram. Um and I'm curious with, with some of your study, like, do you notice yourself interacting with people or noticing their likely style? Um, does it inform you in any way? It doesn't really inform me now because it's still, it's still really new to me. Hmm. You know, I'm learning more and more about it, but very recently, but it's hard not to. And they tell you, you know, don't type other people because you never really know. It's hard not to reflect on the people closest to you and be like, oh my God, he's such a three. Uh, <laughs> or like, you know, or, <laughs> or whatever, whatever it is you feel they are. Yeah. I think what's so wild about it for me is how much trouble I'm having actually locking into my type. Mm -hmm. You know, after I've probably read two books, I've read any number of things online. I've taken the test. You it's have. like, oh yeah, I've done a lot of things. <laughs> and I still, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm honing in, but I'm still not entirely clear. I'm not sure if it's the two or the nine that tends to have the most difficulty actually identifying and, you know, and I, I don't know enough it's about it. It's the nine it. and that's one, that's like for sure where I'm leaning. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Richard Rohr says, if you can't figure out your type, you're a six or a nine. Most oh, likely. fascinating. I'm okay. not a six. No. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Like, um, uh, uh, what is it? the three. So doctors, Dr. Zach Bush, who I've been really enjoying a lot lately, uh, he's a three and he pointed out that so was JFK and so was Hitler. <laughs> um, so it's interesting to know these, to note these other, you know, notable people who have that same pattern and how it, how it can show up in such beautiful, powerful ways and how it can show up in such ugly, powerful ways in, in that particular, in the three case. Um, but, but eights, I tend to have a lot of difficulty with eights. Uh, Donald Trump is an eight. Um, I know a number of eights and in their light, um, in their more healed, you know, expression, those are such powerful. I mean, they just fucking make things happen in this world. Yeah. Just powerful. In when they're not in their strength and their light, they they can be very overbearing, uh, dismissive, bullies. I mean, there's just yeah. you know a lot of energy like that going on. So it's interesting to me. Like, there's always two sides of, a, of the coin. Absolutely. I mean, and that and that's with everything. I mean, for those of you who are listening and like, what are these guys talking about for the past ten <laughs> minutes? You know, the enneagram is this. I mean, I, I think it's like twenty five hundred years old. I mean, it's this ancient yeah. system of essentially categorizing, I'm probably going to butcher what it really is, but essentially categorizing personality types, mm -hmm. you know, the ways in which, and, and it's really rude, each type, it's really based on your primal fear, mm. right? Like each type has a, a main 
fear by which they are directed when they're living in the unhealthy version of their type. Mm-hmm. And each type has a, a um, what would the word be? Like a goal, whatever, you know, aspiration. aspiration. Thank you. When they're living in the healthy version. So mm-hmm. to what you're saying, Jacob, I think that's the case with everything. You know, mm-hmm. when we bring, whether you can apply astrology the same way you could, you know, you can take a Scorpio and, mm-hmm. and Scorpios get a bad rap for being insane or whatever, or whatever, super intense and super whatever. But it's like, yeah, unhealthy Scorpios, unhealthy Taurians are going to have these patterns and healthy yeah. Taurians, healthy Scorpios will have these patterns. Yeah. I think it's, it all speaks to the importance of, of this kind of work, like working on your healing, working mm-hmm. on your growth, because you're going to bring health to, to whatever, however it is. Let's say you believe that you came into this world wired to show up in a specific way. Mm-hmm. Well, the healthier you, you, the healthier you become, the less likely you are to show up in that way, in a way that feels toxic. And the more likely you are to find and mine the gifts of that specific way of being and bring that forward into your life. So well said, man. Yeah. I, you know, I've spotted a, a spiralic pattern of, and we've talked about this before, Scott, but of self-discovery and which once I begin to learn, this is who I am, truly, this is who I am. Um, it leads to self-acceptance and those two ingredients together really allow space for transformation. Um, and transformation just being, um, I am becoming more of who I really am at, at yes. the deep, at the deep code soul level. I'm becoming more and more of that. In fact, I'm just now writing a book with my writer's community. Um, we do a silent writing thing, um, a couple times a month where we just sit there silently writing together for an hour. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's virtual. So it's zoom. Um, yes. yeah. And it's amazing to me how much I can get done in, in an hour. So it's quite selfish, even though I'm leading one of those sessions each month. Um, I'm actually sitting there writing on on a project right now, but I'm I'm writing a story of an acorn that becomes a seedling, and I think I may have even mentioned this in the show before, but it's it's becoming a book um, that'll that'll likely be sort of like a Shel Silverstein book, so illustrated and larger and fewer words on the page. But I'm really excited about it. But it it really speaks to this, Scott, like that um, the the insanity, and it's part of every one of our lives. The insanity of what happens that we, we have to learn by mimicry. That's how we learn to walk and talk and take a shit and eat food and read and write mm-hmm. and everything, which means that there's nothing wrong with being socialized, but it also leads to a place where many of us find ourselves in our thirties or forties or maybe fifties going, I don't even know who I am. I really don't even know who I am or what I truly desire. Um, and so for me, it's been a lifelong quest and especially in the last 10 years of saying, how can I share a process with people uh, and live it myself of delving into this is who I really am. This is who I really am. And then how can I spot the places where I've developed distortions in that through survival strategies or coping mechanisms? How have I learned to survive in ways that are actually bending me away from my true nature? And then how can I gently begin to move back in that direction? That's beautiful. I mean, first I want to say, I didn't know about this book and that's really exciting. I can't wait to read it and see it. Uh, and what, what you're speaking to for me is also the, the compulsion in the self-help world to always try to fix, Yes, you know, fix ourselves. There's so much focus on fixing, 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 fixing that. 
And so often what we do by trying to fix ourselves is we try to change aspects of ourselves that are not meant to be changed. Right. Right. Instead of that's right. Doing our best to bring acceptance to the fullness of our personalities. Right. And, and understanding that we're all idiosyncratic, mm-hmm. you know, we all have our quirks. We all have our ways of being that we actually are born with. Like I'm wired to be more tidy it's just, it's my way, you know, that's, that feels natural for me. That feels more uh, peaceful to me when I'm in an environment that doesn't feel chaotic and mm-hmm. filled with stuff. You know, I'm, I'm an anti-hoarder in that way. Mm-hmm. And I can look at that if I want to through my mind's eye and, and judge myself like, why don't you just be more relaxed and be more comfortable and, and spread stuff out and whatever. And yes, there's room for me to be more relaxed within the context of my personality that likes tidiness, sure, while at the same time just accepting, no, this is just part of who I am. This is how I was born into this world. There's nothing wrong with it. And I'm only creating grief for myself by trying to change an aspect of myself that doesn't need changing and isn't going to change, Mm -hmm. right? Why would I do that to myself? Why not instead spend my energy, spend my energy encouraging myself to just accept this aspect of myself, love it, yeah. And and find ways to bring more peace to it if I feel the need to. Yes. Oh my God, I love this topic, Scott. I had no idea we'd go here today, uh, as usual. I was going to um, say, yeah. That's <laughs> a standard statement by one of us. Yeah, I was like, oh shit, okay, we're going there. No, I love this because, uh, you know, and I've, I feel so strongly that the last at least few, two or 3,000 years, probably more, of human history has been really plagued by probably six or 8,000 years plagued by the, the underlying notion belief in original sin, which basically says I am broken and need a savior. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the, that's the core of it. And it's made its way into politics and business and marketing. And every part of our lives really is infected by that basic story, the narrative I'm broken and need a savior. And so I feel like what that leads to is then constantly looking for a guru or a master, which you and I have both experienced in our lives Mm -hmm. um, and saying, okay, so the way to enlightenment, the way to inner peace, the way to wealth, the way to six pack abs, the way to whatever it is we want riches is all I have to do is find somebody who's doing it. And then I just trim my behavior to model what they're doing. And then I'll have what they have. And holy shit, is that a fucked up way to live? Cause it's never going to lead to peace. Yeah. As much as I also still, I love teachers, mm-hmm. you know, I love learning from people. I feel like there are people who have, who have mastered or are expert in certain aspects of life or who have wisdom to share, who have insights to share that are really beneficial. And that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think you're speaking to like taking them on as, as the one way and the only way that's how we do a, a profound disservice to ourselves. And I agree with that. I just feel like sometimes the pendulum, we're in this moment of, mm-hmm. of the pendulum swinging so far away from the guru mm-hmm. that it feels like a backlash against actually staying open to those who do have things to offer. Like if, if Eckhart Tolle is sitting in front of me, I assure you, I'm going to keep my mouth quiet and learn. <laughs> Yes. If Byron Katie's sitting in front of me, I'm going to soak up anything I could possibly soak up from, from her because as far as I recognize her wisdom, mm-hmm. right? So I don't want to steer, even though I had a guru that was 
you know, we've talked about it a lot here. So I've, I've yeah. been burned by the guru model intensely and by the cult model intensely. And still, I want to keep my heart open to people whom I feel like are sharing beautiful insights and, and wisdom. And I wanted to say one other thing to what you were saying about this, but I forgot. I lost it. I hope you remember it. Um, because that is, to me, holding two ideas, you know, that are seem seemingly opposed. And I so agree with you on the need for, so the need for true teachers. And there are plenty in this world. And I'm so grateful for them. Um, I know some of them. And, and it's such, it's such a refreshing thing to watch a true teacher um, will hold the knowing of what's possible for the student. And, and, you know, the Jungian I've, I've read and learned from so much, um, Robert A. Johnson in his book, Inner Gold talks about that transfer, um, Scott, and why, and why it's a needed, it's a needed part of the equation. Um, and it's almost like a therapeutic relationship in a therapeutic relationship. Even if it's a therapist, a master therapist, who's going in for their own therapy, they actually have to hand their gold in this story, uh, the inner gold story, they have to hand their gold over to that other person so that they can, because it's heavy. Gold is heavy. Um, and so your worth, your true value, your, who you really are can actually be too heavy. And so there's this experience of handing that over by virtue of projection and admiration of a teacher or a guru, um, and letting them carry it. Now, the, the trouble is, and Robert Johnson talks about this in that book, the trouble is when it's time to transfer the power back to the student. Mm -hmm. uh, and if a guru can't do that or a teacher can't do that, then they're, they're locked into the, I am, I am the source of yes. the, the wisdom and power and truth that you need. So I love, and I, I like using a more simple idea about it, a swim teacher who's standing, you know, up to her chest in the water and there's these shivering, um, six-year-olds on the edge of the pool and they're all terrified. They don't know they can swim yet. Right. Um, they are watching other people swim. So they believe it's possible, but maybe not for them. So the teacher actually has to hold the knowing, no, you absolutely can swim. And I'm going to help you learn how to do it. Yeah. But the minute, but the minute that the kid is, is, is beginning to swim. Now the teacher needs to back away and say, no, you've always had the power. It's like Dumbo's magic feather. Yeah. Um, when the feather drops and the crow flies up and says, dude, you all, the feather was never the magic. You're the magic, you know? Yeah. Beautiful. I love that, that swim metaphor. You know, the, the, the sentence that keeps coming to my mind as we're talking about this and fixing ourselves is, you know, I wish I weren't so, and I'm just, I wonder mm. for listeners, when mm. you catch yourself saying, I wish I weren't so, and mm. the, whatever follows that soul, so is an inherent aspect of your personality. What if instead it, you know, what is a statement that isn't I wish I weren't so, but that I am willing to grow into my blank. I am willing to come into acceptance of this aspect of my personality. And so mm -hmm. then automatically what we're doing is we're eliminating the fight. We're eliminating the, the war against what is when mm -hmm. what is is an inherent part of who we are, a part of our personality. And we're bringing ourselves to a place of acceptance, to a place of acknowledgement first that this is who I am. Mm -hmm. I am a big personality. This mm -hmm. is how I present myself in the world, not because of anything other than it's an aspect of how I show up mm -hmm. and that's okay. And so instead of wishing I weren't a big personality, I'm going to be willing to accept my big personality. 
you know, and bring love to my big personality. And by doing so, see how I can show up with it potentially in ways that feel better for me. You know, Jacob, I think so often we, we try to silence everything we don't like about ourselves. We try to shutter it away and it just becomes noisier. It just becomes more aggressive. It just continues to pound on the doors. And I've learned so much by, I mean, we've talked about this a lot, I feel, but I've learned so much by inviting those parts out, like opening the door and saying, okay, you know, you can be really difficult for me, but you're welcome here too. I love you too. Yes. Can we get more in the habit of doing that? And how does that change our lives when we do so? Okay. So I'm going to put you on the spot uh, <laughs> and you can feel free to do this with me if you want to afterwards. Um, I'm curious if, if you've, if you have an aspect of your life that you used to try to really, um, keep repressed or change or fix in some way. And as you began to, you know, come into this process for yourself, like, I would love to hear a story if you, if you can have one that comes to the top. Envy. Hmm. I'm in, my mind is incredibly envious. Hmm. I, I, I can get really, my mind can spin out on comparison and envy again Hmm. and again and again. And that is, that is a, and I say my mind can instead of I am envious because it it feels like a mind thing. Sure. When I'm in my heart, it's not my reality at all. Um, so that was something I used to lock away aggressively. Mm-hmm. Even while I was feeling it, I used to pretend I wasn't feeling it. I used to be trying to talk myself out of it, even though my whole body is like uncomfortable in envy and in the comparison. And... I don't do that anymore. When I'm feeling envious, hmm. I just am like, okay, now you're feeling envious. That's that's how minds feel sometimes. You can sit at the table too. This is uncomfortable for me and it's real because I'm feeling it because it's what my mind is thinking, but it's not true because it doesn't reside in love and in my heart. And so I always I bring myself back to the distinction between what is real and what is true. And I hold myself most connected to what is true, right? These envious thoughts are real because they exist. They're not true because they live in an ego mind. And what my mind is conjuring so often is false. So often it's a lie. Envy for me is a lie. It's rooted in scarcity. It's rooted in the notion that I'm not enough, that I'm unworthy. Those are all lies. So because my envy is rooted in those lies, I know it can't be true. Does that Mm. make sense? Mm Mm-hmm. And so I, oh, go ahead. What are you going to say? No, no, I'm I'm just making encouraging breathing sounds here. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait a minute. I have to write that down (laughs) (laughs) because that might be a part of our title. I'm just making encouraging breathing sounds. (laughs) Um, You know, and I think those things are helpful for me because it doesn't necessarily, you know, talking ourselves through what we're going through doesn't necessarily get us to the other side of it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it does, Mm -hmm. you know, but what it does do for me almost all the time is it interrupts the flow of that spin cycle of Mm -hmm. envy and of insanity. It -hmm. interrupts it and it takes me to a different place with it where at least I can, I can look at it from a different angle instead of being the hamster on the wheel within it. And so for me, that's why it's always valuable to, to take a step back if you're able and become a bit more expansive in how you're experiencing whatever you're experiencing and look at it from that bird's eye view and ask yourself, is there something going, else going on here? 
Is there a different perspective I can bring to this in the moment? What does my heart have to say about this situation? What does love have to say about this situation? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. mix it up. I'm really glad that you chose or that the, you know, the idea of envy came to the top because that's, that's something that's so easy to judge. You know, it's pejorative. It's like, how could envy ever be po- positive? Mm-hmm. Um, I, what I would love to do though, Scott, is, is actually go into that a little bit more with you and say, okay, so in envy, when there's comparison, where there's a sense of lack, like I'm not enough, I don't have what they have, or I'm not doing what they're doing. I'm curious what happens if we sit with that just a little bit and say, okay, so if we allow this to no longer be a demon, so it's this thought pattern that's locked up as a demon. Of course, you already do this, but I I think for the benefit of the listeners in this Mm -hmm. conversation, just going into it and saying, okay, so what is the core underneath everything about it that is negative um, on the spectrum of the existence of this thing called envy? There's something in there that's positive. And what is that? Like when you feel into, okay, I see that this person is enjoying or doing or experiencing this and I don't have that. I don't know if I'll ever have it. What in there, if we liberated it from the the scarcity prison and all of that, what in there, in, what impulse in there is trying to move into health can actually be become an ally and no longer a demon? Yeah, I think it's when you when you get honest with yourself, when you're able to step outside the shame you're mm-hmm. likely to feel for being envious and sit with what exactly it is you're envying, mm-hmm. you can get clear about what your own desires are. Oh, okay. So, do you know what I'm saying? It's like yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not just oh, they've they've sold a ton of books and I envy that. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe on the surface that's what it feels like, but what is it you're actually envying? Perhaps it's that there's someone out there who is living into their creativity in a way that you admire. And so that's an invitation for you to look at ways in which you can live into your creativity more fully. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're envying someone who has tons of friends and you feel really isolated. So what you're envying, and we can maybe we can transfer it to the word admire if you're getting in a healthier place in that mm-hmm. moment. It's yeah. like what you're envy, envying slash admiring is this person's depth of connection with being. So that's an invitation again. What you feel, what you're missing in your life or what you feel you're missing in your life is connection. Right. So where where are the opportunities in your life to put more energy into creating more connection? You know, envy is a great guide in that way. When yeah. you really let yourself sit with what what precisely do you want about their life? What mm-hmm. are you longing for? And then if that's true, if it's beyond just, I want to sell a million books, do you know what I mean? Those types of things. If you can if you can deepen it and get to the core of what that envy is, then you can apply that to your life and look at ways to create it for yourself. And understanding, of course, that you can only create it for yourself in your way, and it's going to look like it needs to look for your life. Right. Right. Oh, my God, this is really good. Because what we're talking about here, Scott, is self-discovery. It is actually, and by not looking away from something that would be a shadow aspect like envy or lust or greed or whatever it is, by not looking away from and saying, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more, you know? Yes, 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 yes. Do that with everything. Do it with everything. I think we talked about this last week. It's like, if if you're lost in your anxiety tell me more anxiety. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're, if you're in the depths of, 
of jealousy. Tell me more. Right. Like get in conversation with these things that are are paralyzing you. Getting getting conversation with them. What are they trying to show you? Well, and this goes back to the the simple exercise that you framed earlier, which is I wish I weren't so dot 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 and. You know, so picking out an aspect of, okay, I wish I weren't so envious. Oh my God, I know this is holding me back. I shouldn't be envious. Envy is bad. You know, envy is one of the seven deadly sins or whatever. Um, so I love that you gave us a handhold on this practice, which is right, start the, with the prompt. I wish I wasn't so dot, dot, dot. And then begin to go into the inquiry about, first of all, just make the list. I think that's pretty easy for most of us to make because of our brain's negativity bias. Uh, it's pretty easy for us to make a list um, yeah, things of the, so. <laughs> the things that are shitty about us, you know, <laughs> I wish I weren't so shitty. <laughs> well, and what's fascinating to me, and I feel like I'm leapfrogging a bit, so I want to make sure you bring us back to this practice because I feel like this is really a key, Scott. Uh, and this is nobody else's um, personality system or the time of your birth and where you were born. I mean, I love all of that stuff. Yeah. This is actually very, very personal and real, but what I love that starts to happen and has more and more opened up in my life is the more that I do this work for myself, the more I'm able to give that gift to other people. Not all, not every day, not all the time, sometimes not even very often in a day, but the more I notice that I begin to look at other people with curious eyes and go, okay, this trait or behavior of theirs really fucking bugs me. I wish they wouldn't do that. And then because I've been giving myself the gift more and more of this kind of inquiry, this kind of self-acceptance and curiosity, I just noticed it becomes a little bit more re reflexive with other people, a little bit more like, oh, I wonder... I wonder what they're actually asking for here. I wonder what they yeah. really do need in this situation, you know? Yeah, that's always the case. And it's always the case in the converse. Like mm -hmm. the more hateful you are toward yourself, the more naturally hateful you're going to be toward other people. Right. You know, these things, it, it is all energetic. Mm -hmm. And so if, if we have as a base note, a willingness and or commitment, ideally to, loving ourselves, mm -hmm. then we're constantly asking ourselves, how can I love myself through this? Yes. Right. So if envy's coming up and what you notice your mind doing is shaming yourself and, and, and berating yourself and you just take the time, how can I love myself through this? It's going to invite a completely different invitation in your response to the envy. Yeah. And that is what is going to lead you to creating for yourself different relationships with all these aspects of yourselves that, that feel heavy and feel untenable and feel shameful. And this is how we, this is how we not fix ourselves, but just come into better relationship with ourselves. And that's ultimately all I want. Like, cause I, I'm really understanding Jacob more and more that all bets are off as far as how evolved I'm going to get in this <laughs> lifetime. You know, it's like I'm expecting to be with all these personality traits throughout my life. So for me, it's more about getting in friendship with all of them, learning to love them all and mm. knowing that if I can do that and I believe I can, and I believe we all can, um, I'm in a good place. Then suddenly I'm just in good relationship with all the aspects of myself, even, even the difficult ones. 
Yeah, there's a, uh, I was looking for it a moment ago. I wasn't texting someone. I was actually trying to search for this specific quote uh, or quotation, but it's uh, it's been attributed to Lao Tzu. Probably not. It's probably just in the Taoist or Buddhist tradition somewhere. Um, but stress is when you are outside of who you really are and peace um, is when you're is when you're just being yourself and that's totally fucked up i did not quote that properly <laughs> but basically when i when i'm outside of who i really am i'm going to experience stress um and when i'm and, and anxiety and probably depression and probably you know all sorts of you know actual mental illnesses the more that i can come back into alignment and relaxation within this is who i really am the more the more peace i can experience um and i remember another piece by uh, anthony DeMello. Um, Scott. Mm -hmm. And um, I was looking for that a moment ago too. But he said, you know, I was neurotic and crazy for so long in my life. And I was trying to change. I was trying to become the better person, this aspirational figure I wanted to be. And he said, and it got worse and worse until someone came along and said, don't change. I love you exactly as you are. I love yeah. you right now. Don't change. Don't change at all. I think you're fascinating. And um, brilliant and interesting. And it's okay if you're crazy. Like, I love you. I love you. I love the crazy you. Um, and he said, what's fascinating is that the moment that happened, he said that, that then that was the moment I began to relax. And that was the moment I began to change. Um, yeah. And he said, he said, years later, I found myself in a state that I only could have hoped for the years before when I was so stressed out about trying to change, trying to model my behavior after other people, you know, beautiful for, for those of you listening. So you be the one to give yourself that permission. That's right. Don't, don't wait for someone else to give you the permission to not change. Give yourself permission to be who you are as much as you are able. And notice the places, I think, because there are so many modalities and so many tools and so many different things on this healing journey and, and so many beautiful ones, you know, yeah. and so, so many helpful tools. And when we get caught up in the idea that we're doing all this to fix something about ourselves, we can lose ourselves. We yes. can, we can actually potentially do more damage than help. But if we can hold on to the notion that we're actually not trying to fix ourselves, no matter whether it's meditation or NLP or EMDR or breath work or whatever, or journaling, sure. we're actually just getting into a place of remembering who we really are and bringing grace and love to who we really are. That that's, that's all the journey is. We don't have to change anything. And then, then somehow for me, Jacob, what it becomes is it's, it's less daunting when mm. I feel like I have to somehow change a core aspect of my personality to feel okay. That feels like a big, big, big task. But when I look at, I really just need to bring love to these aspects of myself, mm. not change them. Um, that still feels like a task because we're not trained to do it. We're right. trained to shame, um, but it feels so much more palatable and also so much more enjoyable. Right. It's like, oh, for me, this exercise isn't just showering love on all aspects of myself. Right. That's fun, you know? You know, you you use one of the primary themes of your work is is learning to accept and love yourself one thing I've noticed as a pattern also, Scott, is, um, and I love it because you're expressing the same thing in a different way, is you're enough. I saw one of your pieces float by the other day on social media, and it was like, you're so enough. I'm I'm shocked or whatever you said by how, how enough you are. And I love that because that's the same energy. It's yeah. 
looking for those spots in my life where I feel like I'm not enough and then saying, what if I just the curious question, what, what if I am though? What if I really am enough in this moment, in this situation? What if, what if, if I take a breath right now and let it, let it out and face the facts of the circumstance and then face the reality, tell myself the truth that, oh no, I actually am alive right now. I'm alive in this moment. I'm not, I'm not being killed. I'm not being destroyed by this moment, but whatever's going on. Um, beginning to, this is where I feel like we begin to heal the roots of scarcity. We begin to heal yes. the roots of original sin beliefs, um, that I'm broken, that I'm irretrievably broken. Um, that needs something outside of myself to fix me or save me or rescue me. Um, and that's where Scott, just that simple shift for me in my life. I remember being six or seven years ago, being in, really in the depths of really some depression and being very afraid that I would run out of time in my life. And basically the core underlying is lack. And it's the belief that I'm not enough. I'm not enough. Um, I'll never accomplish the things that matter to me in my life. And I remember sitting there and having the guide show up during a meditation thing. And I was having a hard time settling into, you know, that peaceful state that we all want in meditation. Um, (laughs) And and the guides were like, why do you believe, why do you believe you're out of time? Why do you believe you're out of money? Why do you believe you're not enough? And I I had no answer for that. And they said, just what if for a few moments you allow yourself to know the truth that in this moment, not the next moment or or five minutes from now or the next day or whatever, in this moment, you are enough, you have enough, you have enough time, you have enough space, you have enough money, you have enough, you have enough, you are enough. And that, that was a transformational moment for me. And I began to use that as a practice whenever I'd feel anxiety. It's like, what if what if I'm, what if I am enough? What if connected to source connected to the greater, you know, everything I'm not cut off. I'm not isolated from all the resources and time and, and ideas and everything that I need. What if that could be true in this moment? How would I feel? And just breathing into that would begin to change that moment, you know? Yeah. And then apply that beyond yourself to your circumstance in the moment. It's like, what if just sitting on my butt on the couch, not doing anything is enough? Right. What if as I'm binging a Netflix show, this too is enough, right? right? Instead of, instead of shaming ourselves, instead of judging ourselves for these choices, what if we can bring everything you just said, not only to who we are, but the -hmm. the choices we're making in our lives Mm -hmm. throughout the day, instead of feeling like we're only enough if blah, 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 blah. And maybe that's another list that we can all be making. What are, mm. what are those things for you? I only feel like I'm enough if I'm, and then write those, that list down and look at the, look mm-hmm. at the way, the ways in which you've been conditioned to believe that your worth is dependent on these types of actions that you're right. taking. You know, right. this is the way we start to deconstruct it. This is the way we come back to, to the truth, which is that we're inherently worthy. We're inherently mm-hmm. enough. If you're born, you're enough. Period. Right. Can you right. really accept that? Right. Can you, Jacob? Can you really accept <laughs> that? You're enough. Well, I, I tell you what, I have been learning to, Scott, and it's changed my life. It is changing my life, you know. Um, and I don't know if you want to put me on the spot, but I was just thinking about, we've been talking about Enneagram, we've been talking about astrology, uh, self-discovery. And um, one of the things that I've noticed in my life is, that I struggled with for so many years. Um, and this is a very four thing to struggle with is, um, feeling outside and also fours in their 
you know, when it's not in its healthy expression, the four can tend to always be looking for the flaw um, in life, mm -hmm. in themselves, mm -hmm. always be trying to fix um, and feeling and feeling hopeless and desperate that it'll that, that it's not possible. Right. Um, so I'm, I'll, you know, let's talk about astrology. If you want to overlay these, these different systems. And I, that's what I really love to do actually is not just look at one system because that sure. can sometimes feel so limiting. But when I look at astrology and human design and the strengths finder and Myers Briggs and Enneagram, you know, you start to, I just love all of this shit so much uh -huh. when you overlay it, all of a sudden it's, it's like watching this composite image reflection of all these different mirrors and you, I begin to see myself in all these different ways. It's like, oh my God. And there's so much overlap between these things. And it's like, oh, there I am. Look at, oh, there I am. That's, that's me. And one of the, one of the aspects of being, you know, me and, and a forward <laughs> and all those things is, um, you mentioned envy earlier. I would, I would tend to, um, have a tremendous like pathological lack of confidence in myself and it was, Scott, it was an Achilles heel. I mean, I, I would, I love to play sports, but I never had the confidence to usually take the big shot or to say, pass me the ball. I've got this, you know, um, in, in my violin, I got to be very, very good at that. When I would get up in front to have the recital, um, a piece that I knew like flawlessly, I would choke, I would, something would happen, you know, I would scratch the string and something, it would just be like this, oh my God. And we, the tape in my head was, Oh, there you go again. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and because it became a pattern to the point where I just had so little, so little confidence. Um, and it was interesting that I was able to frame that in many cases as humility or self-deprecation. Mm -hmm. Um, and so turn it into a virtue almost. And what's been interesting is, so I have, um, a Taurus sun, uh, Leo moon, and then a Sagittarius rising. Well, that moon sign, uh, the moon side and sign, is really interesting to me because that tends to hold the shadow of the personality. It also tends to hold the emotions. Um, and so what's interesting to me is eights often tend to be Leos and Leos are like a natural Leo is they're born a rock star and they're born knowing it. And they are like very tend, tend to be very comfortable in that. Like I'm fucking magnificent, man. Like uh -huh. I am fucking magnificent. And that, Oh my God, that would just make me, I just hate, tend to hate people like that. I, I tended to hate people like that. And if I were honest, like, no, I hate them. I don't want anything to do with them. They're, they're way too confident. What it was is a reflection of my shadow. It's like, yeah. I, I feel such lack. I feel such a lack of confidence. Um, I don't believe in myself and seeing it reflected like that in a, in a Leo sun sign or yeah. an eight. Um, no, they just believe in themselves and they're here on a mission and they, and they know that everyone should line up behind them. Um, that's been such an interesting point of self inquiry and healing over the years, Scott is to go, look, what I'm seeing that I am so repulsed by in these other types is actually a reflection of what I need to heal and what I need to learn yes. to open myself up to in my own life. Yeah. And that applies to everything again. Yeah. You know, I, I have a, a strong aversion to the energy of neediness, mm. like extremely, extremely strong. And Jacob, I kid you not, maybe a year ago, I don't even remember where I was, but I remember like this light bulb going off in my head and saying out loud, Oh my God, I'm completely needy. And it was the first, it was the first time in my life it occurred to me that I am wildly needy. 
-hmm. And so, of course, I have a strong aversion to neediness. I don't want to look at the aspects of myself Mm -hmm. that hold that. And that's, Mm -hmm. I feel like, Mm -hmm. you know, I hesitate to say always, but I I feel like that's almost always going to be true. Yeah. You know, what, what repels us is inside us and there's something to look at there. And that, that is the shadow work. I mean, Jung, uh, you know, uh, and Jung's work actually influenced the Myers-Briggs system very deeply. And, and he used Enneagram, I think, or that was part of that development and also um, astrology. He did thousands of astrology charts for his patients and clients. Um, but Jung said, whatever irritates you about another is reflecting an aspect of in yourself that wants to, that's, that's asking to be, to be healed. Um, Absolutely. And so that, and sometimes that is so hard to accept, Scott. I know. So I'll look at a Donald Trump or a, you know, you start going down the list of these people. Yeah. And it's like, oh my God. And it's so hard for me sometimes to look that squarely in the face and go, what is this reflecting? What aspect of myself that I don't know how to accept about me or let it come into its light? What, it, what the fuck could that possibly be? Because I have everything about them is so repulsive. They're such hideous creatures, you know? That's why I wonder, that's why I hesitate to say always with it, because I think that, that sometimes there are people who are so aggressive in mm-hmm. toxic aspects of their personality yeah. that I don't believe my reaction to them is only because it's that's within me to that extent too, that I need sure. to, I'm like, I'm right. like, I think, and sometimes it is like, they're really expressing an incredibly toxic aspect of their personality. But at the same time, I do believe we all have everything inside of us. So if you take someone like Donald Trump and even the things I find most grotesque about him, right he is an exaggerated version of all those things I find most grotesque, but I could dilute any number of those things to varying degrees and find all of that within me because we, Mm -hmm. I do believe we hold everything inside of us. Yeah. Like, cause this has been a really long, deep one for me because I I'm with you, Scott, I'm not satisfied with a, you know, a bumper sticker quotation that, that applies without any further inquiry in my life. Uh, cause I just don't find it to be very uh, relevant in a lot of cases. And then it's like, well, was that true at all? But, um, the, the more inquiry I've done into this particular part of what we're talking about, it's helped me understand directly to your point that no, it's not, it's not an exact mirror image of, but there's a there's there's something about the energy. There's something about the quality of that that if I'm willing to look at, I it will allow me to grow more. Um, that's what I've come to, and it feels like it softens that from being a really hard edge kind of dogma into okay, okay, <laughs> um, and also let's let's you know look at a Donald Trump, and that he's a really hard one for me because he's you know he is so repulsive to me in in almost every way. But going oh, there's somebody who is so self assured so in such conviction about the direction they're going to me it's so bound up around ego and the story about about this is who i am and it doesn't matter what other people need or think or feel um but 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 just that so if i back away from the the most toxic expressions of it and and allow myself to look in the mirror and say well i probably do envy more of that self-assuredness more of that sense of conviction more of that like fixed purpose um and so that's useful. And then, then, it, then it allows me to then open up to it and say, how can I begin to allow more of that in its most healthy expression into my life? And it's like, okay, all right, good. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And then also feeling like anything I'm looking at about myself that I'm seeing in the other person, the more healing I bring to that within myself, mm-hmm. 
the more relaxed I'm going to be when I'm seeing it in the other person. That's just the way things work too. Mm. So the more, the mm. more healing I've done around my own envy, when I see envy in others, which is a repulsive for me energy to experience because I had right. so much struggle with it inside myself. It's like I hold, I, I naturally hold so much more grace for them too. It's almost like, ah, oh, yeah, I get that. I'm that too. You know, I, I, because I'm willing to own it inside myself and, and not reject it and not shame it. So I'm less inclined to shame it in other people. It's just a nod of kind of a nod of acknowledgement, a nod of, oh yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to quote, I'm going to quote a dear friend of mine who's very wise, Scott Stabile. Um, he says that, <laughs> He says these things a lot. Um, everything is energy and everything's connected. <laughs> and so, no. And so look, as I, as I see something reflected that just makes me feel so angry or repulsed or whatever, if I'm willing to go within and begin to do more of that inquiry and that healing with it until I feel more peaceful in myself, it doesn't even matter then so much what this other person is doing out there that I find so Absolutely. hateful. It's, it's like, if I, if I do the healing work in myself, in the things that are being reflected there, um, I actually am in some way becoming the medicine in this world for myself. And that is affecting everything in this world. Hallelujah, brother. I think that's a beautiful place to end. <laughs> you if just you... wanted to end where I was quoting you, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> We should have ended there. We'll have to edit it. It ends right after the quote. Well, no, we listen, don't have yeah. to end, but I love what you just said. And it kind of wraps up everything we've been saying. No, we're, we're there. You know, I just want to acknowledge um, it's been, it, we started the show by talking about what an interesting, strange several weeks it's been, Scott. And um, that has reflected in just a lot less activity on, you know, our podcast, like comments coming in, you know, listens, all that sort of thing. I've noticed it across the board. Like there was just the sense of like all the, all the sensitive people were just like this for a while, kind of in the cave. Um, but we did get some, we did get some comments and I just want to acknowledge, thank you so much. I didn't see any questions that you and I need to chew on together, but I just want to say thank you so much for spending time to visit our, our site, heyjacobhighscott.com or one of the YouTube videos or one of the podcast channels and leaving a rating, a review or a comment that really means a lot. And we do pay attention. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'd like to invite listeners also to, if you have a hit on what Enneagram type I am, <laughs> mm. I'd be curious to hear what you think. Um, if you feel compelled to share. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's, a, that's anything, a cool invitation. Yeah. Is there anything you uh, want to promote Jacob? Well, we're, we're almost there on uh, being able to announce a writer's retreat in the Bay Area. Um, and when I do that, I'll be able to say who and all that stuff. So we're not quite there, but almost. Uh, that's been part of the last few weeks, actually, of, you know, venues, people, people's people just not getting back to me in, on my timeline. Uh, and so it's been kind of an interesting exercise in trust. And it's like, no, we have, we have plenty of time. We'll just, uh, we'll just keep moving forward. So at the moment, no. Um, what about you? Well, I've got a um, a workshop happening this weekend with. Uh, do you know who Ruthie Lindsay is? I think you've mentioned her name. She's I become don't know. A really her. dear friend. She's really awesome, and she's in Santa Fe for the month. So we're going to hold a workshop, mm -hmm. a live in person workshop here in Santa Fe. So if you're in Santa Fe or know someone, tell them about it. We'll I'll include the link. And then I'm going to be in Detroit giving a couple uh, visiting family and friends and giving a couple live breathwork slash mini workshops. 
um, that I'm really excited about. So I'll, I'll put the link to those two if you're in the Detroit area. Come join me for those. I'm going to let my Envy fully off its leash here just for a second. Uh, I don't think we're really promoting this, but you're going up to see our mutual friend David Gandelman in Montana at this fucking gorgeous retreat center. Yeah. Uh, above take Kalispell. it that means you're not coming. I just, I just, man, I looked at plane tickets and then I looked at the, the 10 hours each way drive and what, I, what I'm up to in my life right now. And I just can't do it this year, but oh my God, I just want you to know I'm, I'm in full blown and unashamed envy. <laughs> I understand. I would be too. <laughs> I, I support your envy. I acknowledge it and, and love it and embrace it. Well, and you're teaching, you're teaching a session there. I see. I'm going to be, yeah, doing some, offering some breath work there. Yeah, I'm so excited. I think several for you. probably sessions, hopefully. So I'm excited, I'm excited for you, and I'm excited the people who get to experience you and David together. That's yeah, oh my god, me too. seriously. I love him. The three of us have to do something together at some point, without any question. Like, yeah, I, that'll be. I, I honestly, I actually right now still have the the tab open on my browser where I was looking at plane tickets and mapping it, and also the tab open with his you know registration page. And I just keep going back to it, and I you know this is where I. I go into, okay, intuitively, am I just not giving myself the time and space to go and do something that would be amazing? And, and, you know, as I kind of journal about it and say with it's like, okay, right now, this time, this time I'm going to have to sit out on the sidelines, but oh my God, I wish I could be there with you guys. Yeah. It feels like you're giving yourself the time and space not to over schedule yourself. <laughs> That's what it feels like. You know what I mean? Like you actually Thanks are giving yourself time and space. I appreciate that reflection because my my initial impulse when David made the invitation was absolutely I want to, um, and so I really appreciate you reflecting that because that is something I tend to overload myself, and I th- and I think my body pays the toll for that, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, thank you. Thanks for letting me off the hook so nicely. Yeah, sure, brother. Well, cool. Well, listeners, thank you so much for being with us. As always, we love you lots, and I love you, brother. You too, my friend. It's up to you to choose how good it can get, how much love you can let into your life, into your heart, before your mind decides it's too much. It's up to you to choose. It's up to you to choose.